Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Love Letters. We're here today with a bonus sidebar episode as we plan our next full season of the show. But more on that later. My guest today is very fitting as we close the books on our latest season of the podcast, which has been all about love and money. Shirley Leung and I have been colleagues at the Boston Globe for the better part of 20 years. She's a longtime business columnist, reporter, and editor. She's also the host of a new podcast called Say More, where she talks to leaders, thinkers, and doers about big ideas and innovations that are shaping our world. Shirley, so great to see you. Meredith, I'm so excited to be here on your podcast. You've been listening to a lot of our Love and Money season, which makes me feel very special. But I have some questions for you before we get into that, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Okay. So you've been writing about money and the economy for many years. Can you share a little bit of your background with this beat? How did you first get interested in writing about money? I kind of fell into it. You know, I actually wanted to be a foreign correspondent. But then, you know, I got my first job out of school and doing cops. And, you know, you probably did your fair share of you know, cops and covering the suburbs. But when I got into journalism, I really liked reading the Wall Street Journal. And that might seem kind of strange, but it was known for good writing and good editing. So I applied for a job there and I, I got a job working at the Wall Street Journal in the Boston Bureau. And I mean, I ended up spending most of my career um, in business journalism because what happened was that business became, it went mainstream, you know. As I like to say, Wall Street <laughs> went to Main Street. I mean, think about 20 years ago, people were starting to sit at home and trade stocks, right? Like it's, and, and nowadays, it's not uncommon to have grandmothers talking about, right? Talking about the, the stocks that they're trading. And so for me, like my career in business journalism kind of dovetailed with the rise of Bloomberg, the rise of CNBC, and everybody um, and business. People weren't scared about business and money. They, they wanted to talk about it. It's not foreign. It's not, it's, it's not scary, money and business. So that's why I've, I've stuck with it almost in my entire career. So we just wrapped this whole season on Love Letters About Love and Money. And I'd always wanted to do a season like this where we get into finances because I don't know, you hit a certain age or actually it could be a very young age where you're like, oh, as much as I don't want to have to think about money, it affects who I choose as a partner. It affects how I date. It affects how people perceive me. It affects what I can offer in a loving relationship. The cost of existing as a human is really high. And when you add love into the mix, which one should if one wants to, you can't take money out of that equation. So I wonder if you might speak to that. Like, it's like one of those things where it's kind of connected to every choice we make, even if we don't want it to be. I mean, I love this last season. And it didn't surprise me that you had so much to work with. And I'm thinking back of some of my favorite episodes. I love the one about dating and the cost of dating and who pays, you know. My mom actually listened to that episode, <laughs> was talking to me about that what episode. What did she say? Well, she was saying like, Shirley, why do you think it's surprising that men still pay on the first date and, and seemingly the second and third date? And I guess I felt like, you know, it's been, a, you know, probably 30 or 30, 40 years since I've been on the dating scene. But I thought by now that women and men um, you know, you you graduate. I mean, yes, there's a still equal pay issues, but by and large, 
there's not that big gender divide or gender pay gap as it, there once was where women didn't have any jobs. Like women are graduating um, at the same, from college, the same rate as men, and they are getting really good jobs. So why aren't they both reaching for the bill when they're out to dinner? Well, I think for me, it was just shocking also because whether it's media or pop culture influences or all of, you know, I'm in a world where in heterosexual dating relationships, women do. And, And yet, even some of the people in my own life who don't consider it a man's responsibility to do this or a woman's responsibility to do that. There was a little bit of this, oh, well, but the chivalry. Like, it's like wanting everything at once. I want chivalry. I want some old-fashioned things that I like, but also I want all things to be equal. And I want. It, I, I think it was shocking to me that, you know, two generations beyond me seemed to be rooted in some of these same rules. But also, there isn't quite equal pay. And there are all these things where we're not quite where where I would like us to be. So I don't know. I'm, I'm glad you love that episode. And I'm glad your mom loved that episode because she's the only audience I care about. Um, <laughs> so what, what I would say about the season is, and I, this is why I really wanted you on, uh, is because I, I got some lessons. You know, I, I don't want to like oversimplify what I learned, but thinking back to a full season about money, I was trying to think of the things that really came to my mind that were patterns that I walked with. The first big lesson that I got out of it was that A lot of people seemed ashamed to talk about money, but some of the greatest shame came with what people have, not with what they don't have. So, for instance, if somebody grew up with very little money, didn't have a lot, was at a place where they had to ask for help, I didn't get a lot of shame, at least not while recording. But anytime I asked a guest, well, do you have student loans? And they said no. Like, my parents paid for my college education. Or, yes, we have childcare. Or, yes, we have a second home. There was like this like you could tell, a real discomfort. I know you're not a psychologist, but I wonder as a money reporter what you think about that, of like the shame of having. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I I was going to say that there's so much about income inequality right now. And so you don't want to be canceled for having too much or uh, you you don't want to seem too privileged, right? Well, but what's amazing to me is that some of these people don't have nearly as much as they think they do, right? Like I was going back and remembering, uh, I think it was a New York Times story about sort of wealth and some of the the way people with wealth talk about it. And there was, I don't know if you remember the story, but people being a little bit like afraid to say they flew private. That story put into perspective that some of the people I've interviewed who are like, oh my gosh, I feel guilty I didn't have student loans, that this guilt they have is actually for just having enough to live without falling into horrible debt like that and they still feel guilty so that there's this middle class confusion of I'm supposed to have nothing or I'm a bad person Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean one of the things I thought was interesting too is that people I mean for I felt it in the podcast you you felt that people some people this idea of why why aren't people talking about money or why why are we have this culture where we hide right where we we it's tab money is taboo still and 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 it's interesting because I feel like in Asian cultures, I'm I'm Chinese American. Um, 
if you talk to Asian Americans, I would say Asian American baby boomers of a certain generation, they love, they're an open book (laughs) when it comes to money. They love talking about, uh, you know, how much they have, how much they don't have. They even talk about their kids. You know, like you can almost say like, I know, like I know how much so-and-so makes (laughs) their kids make because they're always, the, the parents are always talking to each other about, well, my kid makes this much. Well, my kid makes that much. I wish my kid, and then they, come to me and my mom will be like, why aren't you making as I, much as so-and-so? The, the grief I have that your mother was has not been a podcast guest, and we might have to correct <laughs> that. So I don't know. This is, this is fascinating to me. So, okay, let me get to the second lesson. So I felt like in doing the season, people don't understand what marriage is. I mean, they do. I'm not saying that I get it, me, an unmarried person, but I've always thought about marriage as a contract. It's a business contract. And particularly when I appeared on other people's podcasts this season. They would ask me about the theme, and I would make a comment, let's say, about marriage and sort of the business of it. And they'd say, oh, well, that's not very romantic. And I'm like, well, it's actually not a romantic contract. It's like legit a different kind of contract than some others, but kind of the same. And the and the way we celebrate and the reason we're getting the contract might be very romantic. But in fact, not fully understanding that and admitting that seems to get a lot of people in a lot of trouble. Not just the prenup of it, but it's not a love contract. So I was just surprised at, you know, nowadays so many people still not assigning the money piece to it. And I wondered what you might think about that. Also, as somebody who's married, I mean, this is, it's hard to look at somebody and say that thing you signed is about who owns what and what's shared and what's, how it's divided and who's entitled. And once you have it in place, it really might mess with you. You know, I think about my own marriage. I mean, we we don't talk about money. It's it's you know, we're we're the kind of couple that we even we've been married for 20 years. We continue to keep separate bank accounts. You know, you have your money, I have my money. I'll pay for summer camp, you pay for the groceries. And if we ever need money or in a pinch, we'll ask each other, but we don't have we don't have a lot of joint accounts, <laughs> you know. And I guess, you know, I, I it, maybe it's my my last vestige of independence, you know. Um and and I can keep my own ba- bank account. You know, I have a job, he has a job, and so maybe it's my way of being like, I am independent even though I'm married. Well, I mean, it, it. there are many ways to run a business, right, with different kinds of partnerships and who's the title and who's the CEO and this and that. And it makes me think of that, that there's no wrong way to do it, but people should know what it is because you are running a little a little business in there. I mean, it is. And it's, it's probably, it's messier when the financial relationship is unequal, right? When, let's say, the husband works and the wife gives up her career, right, and um, stays home to watch the kids. And so that, at times, can change the the power dynamic in the relationship, who makes decisions, right? And so it's it's a very... So I think that's, like, whereas my husband and I, we're a dual-income household, so it's, it's a little more equal. But I think it becomes, you know, especially when let's say something, and and I've seen this happen too, where, you know, after 20 years, the kids are out of the house and then the couple gets divorced, right? So what happens to the woman? I mean, she she has not worked for 20 years. So what is her financial future, you know? What happens to her now? And so it's, um, there are a lot of, people don't talk about, but but a lot of marriage is all about money and finances. Okay. The third lesson is that 
there were a lot of reasons to spend money. And and some reasons I might have thought of as not responsible before. And now I think of them as really responsible. We had an episode about the cost of a breakup where sometimes you got to spend a ton of money to get out of a house or move by you know, concert tickets, buy a new outfit. Sometimes as a couple, you need to pay for help with cleaning so that you can keep liking each other. <laughs> and I think a lot about the the sort of preview episode of the season was me talking to my financial advisor. And one of the things he said was that he has to advise his clients to spend their money while they're alive. It's not irresponsible. It's what it's for. And if you have it, it can help make things better, and it's okay. So I wondered what you think thought about that. Because I think in personal finance writing, I would imagine there's a lot of, like, not doing that. There's right. a lot of... There's a lot of saving. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of talk about saving. I'm less interested in that. And I knew I, 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 don't, I don't enjoy saving. It doesn't make me feel good. But I started to feel like sometimes spending money is the most responsible thing you can do for mental health and personal relationships. I can understand why people forget because, you know, sometimes we're just in the thick of things. We're paying our bills, paying the mortgage, and we forget that spending also gives us joy. And I know my husband and I go through this because some days we're just like, wow, we work so hard and why are we miserable? Like we And we make good money, decent money, you know, we're, you know, solid middle class, like we should splurge and go on vacation more often. You know, we can go out to a nicer restaurant. You know, it, it shouldn't be all about survival. And that message is even more clear after the pandemic, you know. We just never know what's around the corner. And so, you know, if you have the money, we have some disposable income, um, it's okay to spend it. <laughs> And I'm also just going to make a plug for spending that disposable income on single people who are setting up households alone. One episode we didn't get to do, a story we didn't get to tell, which maybe one day we will, is just the cost of being single. And and when you live alone and you're single, often you are paying for everything alone and your stuff doesn't get celebrated in the same way. So I feel like let's give all the single people, whether they're newly single or not, let's get them an air fryer. Let's get them... They may have more money than us in some cases, but it doesn't matter. Let's just celebrate what they're doing. Well, I had a girlfriend who is single. She remained single. And she was the youngest of several siblings. And I think they all got married off except for her. So do you know what her parents did? What? They they threw her a, a party, like like a like a wedding like party. It was fabulous. <laughs> so you were a guest at this thing. Oh yes, it was great. You know, and she got gifts. I believe she got gifts. We danced, we drank, we ate fancy food. It was awesome. I and we all got dressed up. I love this, and I think that single people should be allowed to have celebratory parties just for existing when they feel like that is appropriate, especially when they make a big move, maybe hit a certain age, just to be like, hey, what about me? Shirley, thank you so much for coming on Love Letters. I'm wishing you all the best with this new show. Thanks, Meredith. Thanks for having me. Congrats on a great season. You can find Shirley's podcast wherever you listen. It's called Say More. Her guests so far have included Drew Gilpin-Faust, the first woman to lead Harvard, and Kara Swisher, tech journalist and podcast host extraordinaire. Go check out Say More. Shirley is a great host and interviewer.
A few weeks ago, we asked for your voice memos reflecting on this season and how money has played a role in your romantic life. And you sent in some really good ones. I loved hearing these because it reminded me that we're all dealing with this stuff together. Here are a few of my favorites. Hey, love letters. My name is Mickey. I live between Chicago and New York City, aka I'm battling online dating and inflation in two cities, not just one. And I never really used to think about money other than that it made me feel exhausted. This season of love letters not only helped me to look back on where my issues with money came from, but also why it's been a problem for me and exes in the past. I've dated high net worth individuals that skimped on every penny and others living paycheck to paycheck who spent more extravagantly than I could have dreamed. But one thing that remained consistent in those relationships was I was uncertain about how I felt. The Love Letters pod reminded me that it's never about how much money you have in the bank. It's about your relationship with that money and your comfort with it. So for me, I explored and tried to understand my own relationship with money a little bit more. And I had to if I wanted to prevent it from interfering with love in the future. Hi, Love Letters. This is Diana from Westchester, New York. I really enjoyed the season on love and money. And one thing it made me think about was that we don't often look for financial compatibility when we're finding a mate, but it could be so important in the long run. When I met my husband, I was online dating and then I ended up meeting him in a bar, neither of which are settings where you talk about financial compatibility. But throughout our relationship of 10 years, we've always been on the same page about money and not really having to talk about it. We enjoy spending our money in the same ways. For example, we both spend way too much on Starbucks coffee and we like buying experiences for our family versus things. All in all, it's nice to know that money is something that we generally agree about and it's been a huge asset to our relationship and our marriage. Hi Meredith, this is Cliff and I'm from Haverford, Pennsylvania. I love your show and this season has been very helpful for me. I've had a problem with money for many years, learning scarcity from my father and bringing this into my most intimate relationships. Unfortunately, I had to relearn this lesson in a very intimate way in my last failed relationship. In that relationship, my ex and I shared the same values. We laughed at the same jokes. We felt safe with each other. Yet we had key differences. She came from a very wealthy family and had a high-paying job, whereas I was coming out of a divorce with depleted savings, and I had recently quit my job to pursue a career change. These financial differences weighed on me, as I now see I let money define my self-worth in this relationship. After hearing the stories around money and relationships this season, I now see that I can further detach from money. I'm learning that I am enough, no matter the circumstances. Thank you for shining your bright light on this for me. And finally, a quick note about next season. The theme is going to be thanks for the help. We want to hear about all of the supporting actors out there. 
people who gave crucial help, advice, or assistance at a time of need. If you have a story about how you got help, advice, or guidance in your romantic life, or maybe a story about how you gave assistance to someone else, we'd love to hear from you. You can always remain anonymous if you need to. Please send us an email to loveletters at boston.com. That's loveletters at boston.com. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Scott Hellman and Jesse Remedios. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Maddie Mortel does our audience engagement. Special thanks to Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. Please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We're online at loveletters.show. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening.